Charges laid in a tragic case of sextortion. Snapchat and Instagram were used in this case. The young victim who took his own life and how investigators tracked his alleged tormentor down in Nigeria. Big changes at Broadway and commercial. We are very committed to adding new housing density, in particular rental, around rapid transit. After a decade of delays, the new proposal for rental housing at a key transit interchange. And wine wars. We need to have the feds involved, the province involved, showing some leadership here. BC grape growers plead for help in their battle with Alberta before the whole industry turns sour. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning much more tonight about the tragic case of sextortion that ultimately led to the death of a 14-year-old boy. The boy took his own life after sharing intimate images online and his family wants others to know this could happen to anyone. Janet Brown reports and a warning details in this story could be upsetting. Robin Jen Jua was only 14, a student athlete with the Delta Hockey Academy, when he took his life nearly a year ago. The youth met an offender online who posed as a teenage girl and tricked him into sending explicit photos of himself. The suspect then blackmailed the teen, threatening to share those images with family and friends unless he paid up, using gift cards. The online interaction only lasted a few minutes. Police were later called to investigate the teen's sudden death. We need everyone who works with young people or who is a parent to have these conversations and to make sure that youth are aware of how they can be extorted online. The RCMP say a suspect was identified in an international investigation. Members of the Surrey RCMP Serious Crime Unit traveled to Nigeria for the arrest of two people, one who was later released. Adadeo Aluke, 26 years old, is being held in custody awaiting trial in Nigeria. The teen's family has shared a statement which reads in part, as we grieve the loss of our son, we want other parents to know this could happen to anyone. Talk to your kids about internet safety and keep the door to communication open so they can come to you for help. The conversations with children need to start at a young age. The suicide of Port Coquitlam teen Amanda Todd more than a decade ago sparked her mother Carol to educate parents and teens about online dangers. Talking about them being a, a, a good citizen and a good digital citizen and understanding how to use technology, it will protect them better um, against bad people online. Surrey RCMP say sexual extortion is a global crisis primarily targeting boys. In Surrey alone, there was a 44% increase in reported cases from 2022 to 2023. Janet Brown, Global News. And if you are struggling, you can call or text 988 to reach the Suicide Crisis Helpline. That service is available Canada-wide 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, an update on a story we first brought you last week. The high-profile member of the Vancouver Police Board, who suddenly resigned last week, has sent a letter to Global News outlining her decision. Jordan Armstrong is working on the story for us tonight, and he joins us from the newsroom with more. Jordan? 
Sophie, it is the first time we're hearing from Faye Whiteman since she quit last week. In her letter, she writes that the chair of the police board, Mayor Ken Sim, and certain directors whom she does not name had lost sight of key values, namely independence, fairness, objectivity, and accountability, so she resigned. She states, if the board is comprised of directors who have a professional reliance on the city of Vancouver for funding or on maintaining a positive relationship with the mayor, who also chairs the police board, then their objectivity is compromised. She goes on to write, the mayor chairs the police board and any direct feedback or involvement in board activity from any politically appointed individuals working in the mayor's office compromises the board. This was becoming more frequent and more direct interference was occurring. In her letter, Whiteman does not give any specific examples of direct interference. She had been on the board for about four years and two years remained on her appointment, which was made by the provincial government. Now, we have reached out to the mayor's office. No immediate response. Last week, Ken Sim said in a statement that he wishes Whiteman the best, adding he remains committed to upholding the board's mission and objectives. Sophie? Lots of questions remain. All right, thanks for that. Jordan Armstrong reporting live. The jury at a coroner's inquest into a deadly Vancouver fire says the B.C. government needs to make fundamental changes to the way it funds and operates single-room occupancy hotels. As Alyssa Thibault reports, even the agency that managed the building where two people died agrees that changes should be made. And a warning, some of the video might be disturbing to some. The final moments before flames engulfed the Winters Hotel in 2022, claiming the lives of Dennis Gay and Marianne Garlow. The building was more than 100 years old and operated by a tira with funding from BC Housing, but privately owned. And while the coroner's inquest found the deaths of Gay and Garlow to be accidental, there are dozens of recommendations to prevent another tragedy. One, to phase out or eliminate BC housing-funded SROs being operated in privately owned buildings. The jury said it heard evidence that there was confusion about responsibility of the building and that led to delays in both building maintenance and also delays to fire system repairs. BC Housing, as the housing entity for the province, should be the entity that is leasing or owning these buildings to put the appropriate level of investment in them. Catherine Room joined Atira in July after running Technical Safety BC. She says Vancouver's current SROs are some of the most unsafe living and working conditions she's seen. I think we're done with SROs. I think the inquest has said you cannot bring a 100-year-old building or 110-year-old building up to code and make it life safety safe. Room is calling on the government to provide purpose-built social housing with appropriate services, and the housing minister agrees. It is our goal over time to eliminate SROs. But when asked about a timeline... Well, there's more than 20 buildings uh, in the downtown east side alone, and so it will take a little bit of time to do so. Minister Kalon says there will be more details released in the coming months. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. New funding from the B.C. government meant to help small businesses cover the cost of vandalism is missing the mark for some. They say the application process is shutting them out and preventing them from getting the help they need. Kristen Robinson reports. 
That's helpful. John Neat had hoped vandalism rebates would help pay for some of the broken windows he's had to replace on his 25 J.J. Bean stores. The $10.5 million B.C. government program, providing up to $2,000 per business for repairs and up to $1,000 for prevention measures like security. We got rejected because we didn't file an insurance claim. His deductible, he says, was higher than the cost of repairing the damage. Making an insurance claim would also increase his rates. Super Baba Restaurant's application also declined. The owner says he didn't file an insurance claim for the same reasons as J.J. Bean. It doesn't make sense at all to claim window breakage in insurance. Since late November, the program has received 419 applications, 247 for the preventative rebate and 172 for the reparative rebate. Only $71,000 has been paid out to date, nearly $64,000 for 66 prevention rebates and $7,000 plus for seven repair rebates. It hasn't worked because it's very onerous to actually get the rebate at all. Ironically, the business on the program's news release also did not qualify. The Junction public house owner says nothing was stolen when his storefront was vandalized, so he didn't file a police report. But without one, his application was unable to proceed. It's not my interpretation that that is a big barrier, but I do look forward to talking to businesses more about this. This is meant to assist businesses. It can cover, for example, the deductible for an insurance program, and it was designed to fill that need. The province says it's working with the BC Chamber of Commerce, the program administrator, to see if any adjustments need to be made. But claims must have some form of documentation. Businesses can apply until January 2025. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Another new chapter in one of the most contentious redevelopment stories in Vancouver, the Broadway commercial Safeway proposal. That's right. This one's been on the books for years. Aaron MacArthur joins us now from that site. And Aaron, the developer, has made some pretty drastic changes to its plans, hoping it finally gets the go-ahead. Yeah, Chris, every time the developer goes back to the drawing board on this project, it's been chipping away at the number of condos for sale. And now there are no more condos for sale. The project proposed to be 100% rental. And that might just be the ticket to get it over the finish line. It seems like the perfect spot to build homes. A mostly empty grocery store parking lot. But while the development signs are up, there is no sign of any new building going up. The proposed project for the Safeway site on East Broadway has been revised again. Taller this time, with 100% of the homes rentals. I've got a lot of friends who have been looking for rental spaces in the neighborhood, and there's just not much out there, so this seems like a big step in the right direction. Luxury rental uh, you know, isn't accessible to anybody in this community. We need affordable rental. We don't need more luxury suites. There have been several versions of this project sent to City Hall, the latest in 2022. What the developer proposed was already well above what the official community plan called for. 30-plus stories would house 294 condos, 395 market rentals, and 205 below-market rentals. It has been replaced by taller towers. Instead of condos, there will be 882 market rentals, with 99 units below market rates. The revised proposal takes advantage of the new provincial legislation around transit-oriented developments. Some neighborhood groups say the density isn't necessarily the problem, but what's now on the drawing board is ignoring key components 
of the Grandview Woodland Community Plan. I think the community plan, in terms of what was supposed to be here at the ground and what it was supposed to do for this community, uh, it was really clear. And it's, it's, it's really disrespectful to the thousands of hours of volunteer effort that went into this to just throw it aside. The city will have to defer to provincial legislation around transit hub developments. Councillor Peter Meisner says council can still have input on design and amenities. And while he can't comment on individual projects, says council has been clear on its housing priorities. Uh, around transit stations like that, especially transit stations that have been in place for the last 20 or 30 years, we need to be maximizing the residential density around those stations. No indication of when this revised proposal will hit City Council's agenda, but it has been on the drawing board for nearly a decade and nothing has been built. Now, when it finally does get before council, it still has to go through all of that procedure, uh, community input, a public hearing, so any finish line on this development is still potentially years away. Chris, Sophie. Long way off for sure. Okay, thank you, Aaron. North Vancouver District Council has given the green light to a new supportive housing building, despite heavy opposition from nearby residents. The project near Mountain Highway and East Keith Road will have 65 units for people experiencing or at risk of homelessness. Five of those rooms will also be complex care units for people with health challenges like substance use issues. The public hearing for the project took a total of five evenings with the majority of speakers opposed to it. One councillor, though, says it isn't the perfect location, but will still provide support for people in need. If it saves even one life, uh, from my point of view, it's well worth the investment. And we will have to obviously, as a community, take steps to ensure that this uh, facility is integrated with our community and that we all live together as, as, as neighbours. Final reading on the rezoning bylaws for the project is scheduled for later this month. The building is expected to be complete in 2026. One day after Selena Robinson stepped down from her role as post-secondary education minister, there's more fallout. Robinson has apologized for her remarks on Israel and Palestine. But that hasn't stopped protesters who are calling for her to leave caucus. Keith Baldry is at the legislature tonight with more. What has been the fallout since uh, she stepped down? Yeah, unfortunately, vandalism is the, what's occurred here. We're talking about her constituency office in Coquitlam, Millardville, vandalized overnight. Take a look at these pictures. So we're basically a slogan spray-painted on the sidewalk and on the window saying they don't accept the apology, as, demanding that she be removed from caucus and a number of pro-Palestine uh, messages as well. So quite a lot of damage or a lot of spray-paint there. Uh, free Palestine is the dominant message there and attacking her personally. Uh, Premier David Evey uh, today took to Twitter to denounce what has occurred there, saying Selena Robinson's office was vandalized last night, which included hateful messages. This is wrong. Peaceful protests cannot include spreading hate. That's from the Premier. Uh, unfortunately, I, other MLAs over the years have had their offices targeted for protest and for vandalism. And I can tell you the effect that this, this type of event has isn't so much necessarily on Selena Robinson, but it's on the people who work in that office. Keep in mind, MLA's constituency offices are nonpartisan. They work for everyone, not just the members of the party the MLA represents. And the people who work in those offices are the ones who are personally targeted by attacks like this. So hopefully we don't see any more of this. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry and Victoria tonight. The B.C. government is uncorking its response in the latest round of wine wars with Alberta. 
Last week, the Alberta government ordered B.C. wine producers to stop shipping direct to consumers across the provincial border. As Richard Zussman reports, Victoria is calling the move baffling and says the timing couldn't be worse. An industry at risk of dying on the vine. We lost almost uh, all the buds and it's not the first time we have seen similar episode happen last year too. So I think uh, our crop is 100% gone this year. And no grapes means no wine. On Tuesday, an emergency meeting of grape growers in the Okanagan, discussing January's cold blast and how it's putting a deep freeze on the industry. We're not sure whether there'll be much crop this year. Um, in terms of plant health, we don't have an answer to that question yet as to whether the vines are alive or not. It's been back-to-back -back years of cold snaps, a summer of record-breaking wildfire, and a threat from Alberta to block BC wines if wineries here don't stop directly shipping to consumers through wine clubs. These two freezes that we've had, over it, it ruined a lot of the 2023 vintage and it's going to ruin a lot more of the 2024. This is, they got us when, when, when we're really in a difficult situation. The BC government wants to ensure that if you're in BC or Alberta, you can buy a bottle of BC wine off the shelf and they are urging the Alberta government to back off the threat while they continue to support the sector for lost vines and will waive minimums in terms of wine production. They're almost at a point where they feel like they're, they're mourning the loss of a family member in terms of just the, the, the scope of this impact. BC United putting pressure on government to do even more, calling for an emergency working group with the BC wine industry in Ottawa, creating a Canadian Vintners Quality Alliance certification, temporarily expanding existing tax incentives for BC grown grape wines, and work with Ontario to reduce barriers to import Canadian grapes and juice. Our industry is really hurting and it's going to hurt a lot and that affects tourism, agriculture, workers, taxes, you name it. There's some talk the sector could look south to Washington for help, but this would no longer mean the wine is Canadian and could sour consumers off the product at a time when winemakers can't afford for anything else to go wrong. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver is wrestling with a rat infestation. I saw lots of rats in there. That's why I don't like to eat in the mall. Video shared to social media shows where the rodents love to congregate, and it's giving some commuters the chills. What, if anything, can be done about it? Next on the News Hour. I remember when you were driving, driving in your car. Something very special you probably didn't notice during that show-stopping performance from Tracy Chapman at the Grammys. That's coming up later on the News Hour. Plus, I've always been attracted to cooking because of our culture. A chat with BC's first Indigenous Red Seal chef and where you can taste his creations later. Okay, fair warning, if you don't like rats, you're not going to like this. Hundreds of the rodents have been making themselves at home near a Vancouver SkyTrain station. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it's part of a growing problem in the city's downtown core. For most people, rats are not exactly desirable company. There's rats everywhere in Vancouver. I saw lots of rats in there. That's why I don't like to eat in the mall. Recently, Hundreds could be seen at Art Phillips Park near Burrard Skytrain Station. The rodents scurrying and feasting, like a scene out of Ratatouille. <laughs> that fear factor 
tends to be the case off screen as well. But even beyond disease risks, there can be other risks as well. Mental health risks from seeing rats, being afraid of rats. Their large numbers near SkyTrain are prompting questions. Is the problem getting worse? And what is being done to manage the population? Rats are on an increase this year, definitely. We are seeing them more during the daytime. Now that we have the warmer weather, the ones outside are now going to be breeding year-round as well. City of Vancouver says it received 1,174 rat reportings in 2023, a number it says is similar to 2022, adding city staff closely monitor rat-related calls, which are addressed on a case-by-case basis. As for the impact of provincial restrictions on second-generation anticoagulant rodenticides, the city said we have not seen an increase in rodent issues. Food is pretty much a guaranteed invitation to attract Remy and family, even if you're intending it to be for other animals. You're also attracting mice and rats to those areas. And what happens is mice and rats like to nest close to their food source. So now we have nesting in those areas as well, and the rodent population will definitely grow. If you were hoping to keep rats away, cut back shrubs next to your home and make sure to close access points, sealing any that are larger than a quarter. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, brewing up a better world. Both my grandmothers were coffee farmers. How a Vancouver entrepreneur is creating a buzz with her coffee business. And coming up later in sports, why the BC Lions are feeling pretty good about their run game this upcoming season with a new signing. Starting a new business is challenging for anyone, but especially if you're a person of color who is new to the country. But as Cassidy Moscone reports, black entrepreneurs are being offered a much better chance to get their businesses up and running. Hi. How are you? Fine, how are you? Good, good, thank Hi. you. Jackie Cassandi's Vancouver business is thriving. The proud black entrepreneur sells handmade Kenyan gifts on Granville Island. So in eight years from selling at the markets to now a store with 10 people. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's great. That's a Canadian story, a good Canadian story. Her success didn't come easily. Cassandi says racial hurdles have held her back. I couldn't get funding to save myself. And even to this day, I can get small loans. That's why she started a non-profit, Black Entrepreneurs and Businesses of Canada Society. Starting a business in general is really hard. We know the systemic barriers that black entrepreneurs face in getting funding, so that makes it extra hard. Nadine Umatoni's coffee company is one of many black BC businesses hoping to win BEBC's $25,000 funding grant at its Black Pitch Contest designed to open doors for black entrepreneurs otherwise shut out. If I'm going to the bank to tell the bank, give me $250,000 because I have a big store and I want to get inventory, they'll be like, do you own a house? When I came here, I worked, I saved up, and then it was either buy a house or do a business. So I don't own a house, which means I can never borrow large sums of money. Jures Ashkendom was a finalist last year. I just point the camera at the product package and it tells me exactly what's in that product. His AI-driven cannabis search engine has skyrocketed ever since. I don't think there's ever been a business that uh, succeeds in a silo. 
And so you need a community of people that, that champion you, that support you. There are more than 140,000 black-owned businesses in the country. Just over 6,000 of them are here in BC. Statistics Canada says black-owned businesses here tend to be smaller and make less money than ones owned by white people or by other racialized groups. BEBC is hoping to change that one business at a time. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Coming up, concern for the king, the first sighting of the monarch since the cancer diagnosis and how his son Harry rushed to his side. Also coming up, the city of Vancouver approves millions in spending to make one of the mayor's campaign promises come true. More and more Canadian children are at risk of going to school on an empty stomach, and it's getting harder for school nutrition programs to meet their growing need. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies. If you're able, please help hungry children in your community. Donate today. King Charles III is recuperating at Sandringham Estate, north of London, following his first course of treatment for cancer. The monarch was seen for the first time today since his diagnosis was made public Monday. And Prince Harry arrived in London for a rare visit with his father. Redmond Shannon reports. King Charles and Queen Camilla heading from Clarence House to Buckingham Palace before flying off to Sandringham Estate, the first sighting of the monarch since his cancer diagnosis. Little is known about the type of cancer, but British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says he understands it was caught early. Nonetheless, Prince Harry spared no time in getting to London from California for a meeting with a father he's barely seen in recent years. I don't know how much things will change. You know, people are talking about, oh, this is the, the breakthrough. We don't know. But illness has a way of just putting everything in perspective. And I think that's what this is. Harry and Meghan's departure from royal life, part of a dwindling roster of senior royals. The disgraced Prince Andrew also stepping aside before the deaths of Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth. And now serious health issues for the Princess of Wales, recovering from abdominal surgery and... For the king. Charles and Camilla's reported plans to visit Canada in the spring now up in the air. I think it's very difficult to predict um, where the royal family will be in May and how busy a schedule they will have, particularly in terms of overseas tours. We certainly have seen in the past uh, royal travel arrangements being adjusted in various ways in the event of um, health crises. The ever-busy Princess Anne and her brother Prince Edward may pick up some of the slack if they can find the time. There is no sense of a timeline for when the king returns to public duties, but what we do know is that his son, Prince William, the Prince of Wales, returns to public life on Wednesday, having taken a break while his wife, Catherine, the Princess of Wales, recovers from her surgery. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Vancouver City Council has approved a grant of nearly $4.7 million for more mental health response team members to help people in crisis. The money will go to Vancouver Coastal Health and is part of the mayor's campaign promise to hire 100 mental health nurses. The funding will be used to hire staff for a non-police crisis de-escalation team. Money will also go towards the CAR 8788 program, which pairs police officers with mental health support workers and towards a new Indigenous crisis response team. 
I think we all recognized uh, that there are times uh, when you're going to need police, you're going to need law enforcement, but there are other times when you're not going to need that response and you need health professionals. And so for me, I feel like this is the win-win this that we were looking for in terms of um, that integration of service, the working together, the collaboration. The funding will be used to hire the equivalent of 58 full-time positions. So far, 16 positions have been filled and recruitment is underway for 19 more. Just ahead, the Grammy performance with an Alberta connection. It's wonderful. I mean, I'm hoping that she's hung on to it because it's sort of become a trusted friend. A retired Calgary luthier astonished to learn Tracy Chapman played the instrument she made more than 20 years ago. Also coming up, Tales from the Kitchen, how First Nations chef Andrew George reached culinary superstardom. All right, not much in the way of snow this season so far. No, but hoping. Here's hoping, Christy. Yeah, we really were hoping for tomorrow to get some snowfall, but it looks like the system that's about to drive in is going to stay offshore. So I thought I'd have a quick look at the snowpack. This is using one of the stations on the uh, South Coast Mountains, uh, particularly the North Shore. This pink area is the historical average showing the increase in the snowpack as we head towards May and then the big drop uh, towards July. Uh, this green line indicates what we saw last year. We had a very early snow melt earlier than average. Uh, we sort of saw the snow pack diminished to nothing in the month of June. This, though, is the line that we're currently looking at, and this is cause for concern. We are way below the historical average, especially with the significant melt that we just saw. So we are definitely rooting for the South Coast Mountains. We need that moisture as we head into the summer months for our uh, water, water system. So here's the system that we're hoping for. It is going to stay offshore, though, so impacting a little bit across Vancouver Island, but not making its way onshore. So we are expecting dry conditions. Once again, we'll see more cloud cover than what we saw today. But overall, we're not expecting much moisture until Thursday when this system drives in, hopefully bringing some moisture. But at this point, it's not a very strong system. We're talking about uh, some showers or flurries over higher elevations. So this is the snowfall for tomorrow. You can see it nowhere near that south coast area. All right, so here's your look at your forecast for your Wednesday. We're expecting dry conditions in the interior, sunshine for the north coast area. Areas here will see um, a snowfall overnight and then a changeover to showers during the day. We do have uh, some cloud cover in the mix, a chance of showers across Vancouver Island, but for our region, we'll see more cloud cover than what we saw today, but it is expected to be dry. Hopefully some moisture as we head into our Thursday, as you can see, dry once again on Friday, and then Saturday, we have a few showers in the forecast. So not a lot of moisture in store for us over the next little while, as you can tell. Beautiful shot from Tawasson. Look at these beautiful clouds. D. Rich sent us this. This was actually a photo from Monday. Thank you so much. I love the color in that. All right, back to you two. Great shot. Thanks, Christy. Beautiful. Well, the audience was buzzing during a recent performance by Tracy Chapman during the Grammys, but no one was more thrilled than a woman from Calgary. That's right. She's the one who built the guitar Chapman was playing in her outstanding duet with Luke Combs. And Carolyn Curry de Castillo has more on how it ended up in the hands of the superstar. Oh, yeah. Music has always been a passion for Judy Threat, but it wasn't until the former philosophy professor started making instruments that her talent hit a high note. While teaching in Calgary, she joined a local folk band. A friend of mine that I was in a, a folk club house band with 
built an archtop guitar for me. So I started hanging around at his at his studio while he was building it, and I got I got hit. Uh, I got the bug for building. Soon after, she quit academics and switched careers. I went into the department office and rescinded my application for the next year and said, no, nah, I think I'm going to take some time off and build some guitars. In 1999, she crafted a guitar and tried to sell it in Calgary with no luck. She ended up shipping it to a music store in Palo Alto, California. It was there that a certain folk musician by the name of Tracy Chapman walked into the store looking for a smaller guitar. And he just reached over and handed her that one and she eventually left the store with it. That was in 2001. Over the past 20 years, Tracy Chapman wasn't a household name anymore. But her song, Fast Car, was on the charts again when covered by country artist Luke Combs. On Sunday, they performed the song together at the Grammys in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, back in Calgary, the retired guitar maker gets an email from a friend saying he spotted Judy's guitar. Tracy Chapman strumming it on stage for the world to see. I was astonished. And I've seen pictures every once in a while of her playing it. Um, but, you know, she's sort of dropped out of performing. And so I didn't know if she still had it. Judy's guitar-making days are over. Her eyesight became too poor for building, so she's reinvented herself again. She plays rhythm guitar in a swing band that plays weekly for seniors at the Kirby Centre. This week, she'll have a story to share about another woman playing her guitar, singing about starting a new chapter. It's wonderful. I mean, I'm hoping that she's hung on to it because it's sort of become a trusted friend. And, and if that's the case, then, then that's wonderful because that's, that's sort of what everybody hopes for when they're, when they're building guitars. Carolyn Curry, De Castillo, Global News. She's sure taking good, good care of it. Yeah, it sounded great, it and sounded that great. performance was amazing. Perfect. All right, uh, let's bring in Squire now with a look ahead to sports. What have you got, Squire? Well, remember how the Canucks made the trade for Elias Lindholm last week because they wanted to give him some time to assimilate with the team before the playoffs. Well, it took him 17 minutes and 23 seconds to <laughs> At two goals tonight, Vancouver just keeps on winning. 3-2 over Carolina. We'll have the highlights. Always like it when a trade works out. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight. Wait till you try this. Chef Andrew George, a career full of highlights creating First Nations feasts and what he's serving up next. Nothing like starting off the sportscast with a tongue twister. I will try. <laughs> I mean, I wrote it after all, so I should be able to get this. Anyway, the Elias Elias Alliance is off to a good start for nice. the Vancouver Canucks. Elias Lindholm got on the score sheet in his first game with Vancouver more than once. Two goals. And the Canucks won yet again 3-2 over Carolina. 12 straight games where Vancouver has picked up a point, 10-0-2. And here is Mr. Lynn Holm wearing 23. The first goal of the game, though, was a shorthanded goal by Carolina. Former Vancouver Giant Jordan Martinuk. I don't know how he got that wide open in front of the net, but the Canucks didn't allow 
many glorious chances on Thatcher Demko, and they would get a few of their own, like Connor Garland right off the bar. That was correct. Nope. That wouldn't go in. Trying to get through Nikita Zadorov is like trying to get through a Russian winter. And Jalen Chatfield gets snowed under. Now, Elias Lindholm. Watch this. That shot by Hughes going wide, but it's wide for a reason because he wants Lindholm to do just that. Deflect it the other way and put it in for a 1-1 score at that point. And then it happens again. Hughes and Lindholm, and it's 2-1. Another deflection. Carolina leaves guys wide open in front of the net on power plays. Okay, so 2-1. Then Carolina gets a power play, and Sebastian Ajo will score. Nice shot, top corner. Beats Thatcher Demko. So 2-2 after 2. In the third period, the Canucks road shot 13-3. But of those three shots was this one. A weird bounce, and it ends up going right to the backhand of J.T. Miller. He scores to give the Canucks the lead. And then they basically turn things over to Thatcher Demko, and he does the rest. Nobody beats him. Esperi Kokaniemi has a good chance there, but the Canucks win at 3-2. And now Vancouver travels to Boston for a heavyweight bout with the Bruins, who tonight were taking on the Flames featuring that man, Andre Kuzmenko. And what did he do for Calgary? Well, he did kind of what Lindholm did for the Canucks. He scored in his first game. Now, Lindholm got two, Kuzmenko got one, but he helped the Flames to upset the Bruins in Boston. Well, congratulations to Canucks prospect Arshdeep Baines. That guy right there plays for the uh, Abbotsford Canucks. Last night, AHL All-Star Challenge, and Baines was the best guy on the ice. Led the Pacific Division to the win. How about this? Seconds left. Baines with moves. MVP, but I have to say, in a second after you see this move again, and it is impressive, the, uh, the MVP trophy they give out in the AHL? Little chintzy, if you ask me. Look at this little thing. Come on. He's the MVP. I've seen bowling trophies bigger than that. Oh, I couldn't see it. At first. Oh, there it is. I know, you couldn't see it because it was so small. The uh, BC Lions re-signed linebacker Ben Halatic today. Two-year deal. That keeps him from free agency. They also picked up former Alouettes running back William Stanback, who barring any other signings, is going to go to training camp as the number one guy in the Lions' backfield. Yeah, we're excited. We've been uh, talking to a few people, and uh, William's definitely been, been one of him. And, man, did he finish the year strong in Montreal if you watch him come down the home stretch and how he played in the playoffs. Um, you know... <laughs> We, we get that guy, and it's a, that's a good thing. He's a big-bodied guy, big-bodied guy, good in pass pro, all those things, and so uh, um, definitely fits the bill, and we're, we're excited we got the opportunity to get him. In signing William Stanback, the Lions now have a multifaceted back who can bully his way through the line of scrimmage while also being more than adept at catching the ball downfield. Stanback, the 2021 Eastern nominee for the CFL's Most Outstanding Player, and he also happens to be very tight with Lions starting quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. You know, he has backers on our team that uh, really like him. And, uh, you know, when we 
talked to our staff and uh, talked to uh, you know the offensive guys. They felt that he would be a good um, addition to our football team to um, not only help out in the uh, you know run game, but certainly the passing game too. Because when you have a uh, dynamic back like that, you can um, you know make things happen. So. Tomorrow in Langford, the Whitecaps start the Champions Cup, which is formerly the CONCACAF Champions League tournament. They'll take on Tigris of Mexico, two-game total goal series. They faced Tigris last year in the League Cup, which is different. There's too many of these things. Anyway, it won't be easy. Tigris has already been playing Mexican League games, while the Whitecaps have only played exhibition games. Uh, so far, I think we've had four or five games, um, depending on certain players. Uh, so hopefully, you know, it's not going to be as rusty as one would think. But yeah, like I said, they're obviously a good team. They've started off their season really well, and, you know, we played them last year, so we're familiar a bit with their players. And uh, yeah, we're, we're aware that's going to be a tough game for us, but we're going to put our best foot forward and try and come away with some uh, good result. Okay, there you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Still ahead, an award-winning First Nation chef serves up some wisdom for those following in his footsteps. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in the newsroom with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, it was promised years ago, so what's going on with plans for a school in Vancouver's Olympic Village? We'll look into that tonight. Plus, last week we showed you the shocking results of a year-long commercial vehicle inspection blitz. Today, Burnaby RCMP officers were out checking big rigs at three locations. And the findings? Equally alarming. Of the 19 trucks inspected today, Will tell you how many were deemed so dangerous that they were yanked off the road immediately. That's tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Jordan. All right, an award-winning chef is putting his own unique spin on the First Nations fare he grew up eating. Chef Andrew George has cooked for royalty, creating a hit at Expo 86 that eventually earned him a red seal. Jay Durant shows us the chef's recipe for success in This Is B.C. Wait till you try this. You're gonna Ever since he can remember, Andrew George has had a passion for indigenous cuisine. A lot of flesh on there, but that's not going to go to waste. I've always been attracted to cooking because of our culture. Uh, the Wet'suwet'en uh, were the salmon people. Learning from his mother and grandmother, George was 23 when he got his big break at Expo 86, cooking at the First Nations restaurant that quickly became a massive hit. Probably about 2,000 pounds of salmon a day. Lucky enough to say I fed Lady Diana at that, uh, at that restaurant at that time. She came in and tried a salmon and bannock burger and absolutely loved it. That's really good. That's yeah. delicious. George's star was on the rise in the following years. He became the first Indigenous Red Seal chef in B.C. and represented Canada at the 1992 World Culinary Olympics. Our team, the native Canadian haute cuisine team, won seven gold, two silver, two bronze. All under indigenous food. Salmon soup. To the max. He's written cookbooks and developed menus for restaurants and hotels around the world. Distanced now from the discrimination he faced in those early years when he entered the culinary world. It's been a, a really long journey. A lot of struggles. A lot of hardship. But to me, the message out to the youth there, if it's easy it ain't worth your time okay we use everything by the way that bannock burger that was so popular 38 years ago has made a comeback at bc place and will be showcased again when soccer fans come to vancouver for the fifa world cup it's not necessarily for me it's for the youth coming up there you go and an opportunity for them to actually spread their wings and fly push it right against the bone that's what i like about cooking 
is we will have the ability to, to promote our culture through food. And, and to me, that's one thing that we all have common in this world is food. And it brings us all together. The easier it is, the better it is. Jay Durant, Global News. Not going to lie, drooling a little bit after watching that report. Delicious looking food. And if you know a great story and it's something you want to share with the rest of the province, just email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And by the way, Chef, we're really good at the eating part. We <laughs> volunteer for that all at every opportunity. Yeah, yeah it looks delicious. <laughs> all right, uh, Christy, uh, final word on the weather. A little bit more cloud cover tomorrow, but still another pleasant day. We are gaining more than three minutes a day of daylight right now. And I don't know if you can tell, but for from my perspective, it really shows, especially in the morning, the day is getting brighter so much, mm. so much sooner, which is great. I'm not feeling any more <laughs> awake not quite in there. the morning. It's not helping. <laughs> we're, just we're just coming out of hibernation, but uh, definitely yeah, noticing exactly. it in the newsroom, too. We've got that wall of windows in the newsroom, and everybody's commenting on how light it feels at around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Thanks for watching, everybody. Hope you have a great night. Good night, all.